0: The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we have returning to us the outspoken and eloquent self-advocate spokesperson for dementia and Alzheimer's michael ellenbogen michael welcome back to different brains
0: well thank you so much for having me
1: you were diagnosed in 2008 with alzheimer's at age 49 okay and you started having symptoms at 39 tell us about your journey between 39 and getting diagnosed at 49
0: well it was a pretty long process uh, but uh I guess the first three years, I was struggling to get a diagnosis. I knew there was something wrong, and uh, I I went through all kinds of doctors, uh, specialists, and sadly to say, after three long years, they came back telling me that they thought I was stressed and depressed. So (laughs) I kind of gave up working with the doctors out of frustration, and then about seven years later, I was realizing that things are really getting to be bad and I really had to do something else. So I started all over with new doctors. And this time the doctors came back uh, identifying that I had either semantic dementia or possibly Alzheimer's. And after a long study at NIH, National Institute of Health, it came back that uh, it was most likely Alzheimer's. However, fast forward 10 years after that, uh, and that was a few years ago because of the technology, and uh, we're getting better of identifying the different, uh, oh, I can't think what they're called right now, but the, the things that they look for, biomarkers. They were getting better at biomarkers, and they came back because I was in a study, and they felt that I did not have Alzheimer's because I had an amyloid PET scan, And now they're pushing more that it's most likely semantic dementia, which falls under the FTD category. But again, I learned a couple of years ago from uh, some famous people at NIH that people who end up dying or passing away from this after they get a biopsy, they're usually wrong on what they thought they had because most people end up dying with three or four types of dementia. So you can't just narrow it in on just one type of dementia, sadly to say.
1: Share with our audience what some of your symptoms were and some of the tools you've used and made for yourself to help you get along.
0: Well, I guess the early symptoms for me were I was starting to struggle with acronyms in my field, uh, which I knew very well at the time. Uh, I I was forgetting four digit extension numbers, uh, forgetting my direct reports first names uh so that was my struggles then and there was so many other things I mean I I, I was even having trouble using uh the fax machine and so many other uh things that you know we, we take for granted and uh you know my original coping skills around that time was a lot of posted notes and a lot of type reminders I even went out and bought an electronic uh device that I could carry in my pocket. They gave me all kind of reminders and things like that. And I was able to keep my phone numbers at all in there. But it comes to a point that you end up having so many reminders that you needed reminders for the reminders <laughs> because it's just so overwhelming. And uh, you know, eventually it kind of catches up with you. And the only thing you can do is just try to kind of simplify your life. Like for example, in the last couple of years, You know, I used to do all kind of repairs on my motors, uh, lawnmowers and tractors and things like that. And I couldn't even figure out how to mix my gas anymore in there. Uh, I just couldn't do those kind of things. So, again, I took another step. I got rid of all the gas and I went to electrical. So now the electrical, you just push a button and that's all you have to worry about. So you got to constantly refine ways to make your life a little bit simpler and easier to try to continue to go on.
1: Um, tell us about your work in raising, uh, awareness for dementia and Alzheimer's overseas. Well, I've been
0: very involved in trying to speak with people all over the world in reference to dementia, but I have focused a lot of my time, actually probably about eight to almost 10 years now in Africa. And uh, what, what what kind of pointed me that way was about ten years ago. I saw a woman who was locked up in chains, completely naked, and she was just tied up, laying there all day long in the you know heat blistering sun. And I found out that they referred to her as a witch. And when I found out the reason they referred to her as a witch is was because she had dementia. And they really didn't have the understanding at that time of what it meant to be somebody with living with dementia. So I reached out to a great friend of mine, Mark Wortman, who sadly to say has passed away in this last year. Uh, he was in charge of ADI, Alzheimer's disease international. And I referred to him, I said, Mark, you gotta do something about this woman, this is crazy. I mean, you know, this woman is being neglected and all this and Mark went out of his way and he, got to the people in that uh village and educated people and it changed everything it changed everything for that one woman so i realized you know there's a lot of things we have to do here in the us and other parts of the world and they cost a lot of money you know to do a lot of these things but i thought to myself you know if i can just bring little change of education there That doesn't require any money, doesn't require anything other than people volunteering to give a little bit of their time there to educate others. So I try to reach out to the top people, you know, World Health folks in uh, Africa, throughout the whole continent, and they all said, this is impossible, you can't do this, you know, it's going to cost money, it costs for flyers, it costs for this. So I kind of struck out going down that route, and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to start reaching out to people of faith, all, no matter what faith you are in, but people of faith in the community within Africa. And I started doing that. And before you know it, I started getting these priests and all these other people of faith reaching back out. And we said, well, what can I do? How can I change? And I said, it's very simple. We just need to educate people what dementia is. You know, I'm not trying to change You know, they they have witch doctors and all these things. I'm not trying to change their thought process. I just want to give them some education that they were not aware of what it meant to have dementia. Uh, What are some of the skills uh, required to how to deal with people with dementia and explain to them that it's a disease of the mind. And uh, it it slowly began by reaching out to these people through my LinkedIn portfolio, which I now have almost 21,000 people. And I, I remember people being on their cell phones and they pull people together in their community outside so I can talk to them on a cell phone. And we talk and they would just move the cell phone around and allow me, people to see who I was. And they would, some some in some cases people had to translate, which was made very, very difficult for me uh, because they would have to translate the language uh, so they could understand. And then he would take questions from those people and ask me questions. I finally ended up putting a two hour video together, which now I share uh, with, with a lot of people over there in Africa. And uh, I tell them, don't do anything to burden yourself. We start out with one person we educate. And those one will go to two and those two to four. And we just keep going down and no money involved. No money involved. It's just volunteerism. And it, it, it's done a lot, and I believe we've saved a lot of lives by doing that.
1: Now, have there been more young people here in the United States um, identified with dementia since you kind of broke the mold of it being an old age kind of thing when you got it? What is the uh, ageism at this point in regard to dementia from your perspective?
0: Well, I, I have to tell you, you know. I got started about 12 years ago doing all this, and uh, at that time, there weren't many people talking about this disease, and uh, I I remember it was only about a handful of us, about three or four of us around the world, and uh, we started getting a lot of people involved talking about it and being advocates, and while we made a lot of progress, I'm a little bit concerned nowadays because while we create all this great advocacy for people like me at the younger age to speak up about this, I'm now seeing a slight twist on that. More of the people who are coming out now aren't doing the advocacy. They're more interested in, I guess, more of support group type environment. So they're coming out, but they're really talking to each other rather than doing the advocacy part, which is drastically needed. Uh, and uh that's what's kind of scared me because I, I I'm almost getting a feeling that if somebody else doesn't pop up like another Ellen Bogan or uh Richard Taylor to drive all these people to continue doing what we started, I'm getting a feeling it's going to dry up again. And that that's not a good thing. I mean it's it's okay that these people want support groups. But we also need to take those people who are in support groups to take it to the next level and do the advocacy because, as you know, there aren't many people out there who can still speak or write or even drive to to reach out to these government officials. And these are the most important people, in my opinion today, that can continue on the mission that we kind of got started.
1: Well, that's a great, great point. The early onset of dementia, when people are still functional and still can do things that's the important time how have you been received i know you've testified before congress and world organizations and things has there been a positive change in the way it's being received from your viewpoint well i have to
0: tell you i i've been very fortunate i've been involved with so many organizations out there and most of them have led to good changes uh how they perceive me is coming at them. And somebody told me not too long ago, they said, Mike, you're the bulldozer of dementia. (laughs) Uh, And you know what? I I am. I I mean, you know, if you come in here quietly and you just try to be polite and all this, it just doesn't get you anywhere. And sometimes you got to come at it in ways and people don't like that. They don't like that. And, uh, you know, I, I know I've pissed off a lot of people, but at the same time, a lot of people have changed their ways uh uh-huh. i have been successful changing them all uh but i would say the majority of the institutions that i have worked with have progressed in ways that have made things so much better for people with dementia and it's changing for the better uh so yeah I've done a lot of good, but at the same time, I think I've also made a lot of negative impressions on people just because of the the way I've taken my approach. But, hey, the bottom line is did I bring good change. And that's that's the important thing.
1: You're making Alzheimer's and dementia omelets and you got to break a few eggs. Absolutely. Now, let's talk a little bit from your uh, viewpoint. Uh, We all read headlines that there's. um, this new research going on in Alzheimer's and a new drug on the horizon and new approaches, what would you say the state of the art is or the state of the science for coming up with, let's talk pharmaceuticals a little bit, uh, to help uh, this condition?
0: I have to tell you, I don't know if you remember, but if you would ask me this question about 12 years ago, I would have told you there's like a 1% chance of hope out there. I I think for the first time, and I'm gonna say it on your show, I think we're at 10% now of hope. Uh and the last time I gave somebody some figure was probably 2% or 5%, and that was a while ago. I honestly believe we are on track to start to come up with some ways that we will be able to at least slow down the process of dementia. I I, I don't think we're that far away. We're, We're getting better with the biomarkers, figuring out who the right people are. So I'm very excited about that. What I'm not too excited about though is, I'm starting to see some real negativity from government officials on how they're gonna make those products available to the people who need them the most. And for example, I I don't remember the drug that came out, uh, I guess about two years ago and uh, it passed through the FDA, but after it passed through the FDA, CMS got involved and they said, well, we're not gonna support this drug because there's not enough information out there and they wanted to impose their own clinical trial on this particular drug. And part of it, I don't think, really had to do with the drug itself. I think what really made them more concerned was the cost factor of this drug. Originally, when this drug came out, it was going to be fifty-six thousand dollars a year, and you know, have money talks, you know, in government. And then they finally brought it down to half that, to twenty-eight thousand. But by that time they decided they didn't want to cover this and they put all kinds of stipulations. And sadly to say is I know a couple people who were really taking advantage of this drug and really needed it drastically because for them to buy six months or a year and a half delay meant a lot because that could mean to wait to the next cure. And their doctors had to tell them, I'm sorry, I can't give you this drug anymore because you removed it from the market. And some of these people were tearing. They were really crying because it took all hope away from them. And this wasn't the first example where CMS has really taken a a, a direct hit to people with dementia. There was also the PET scan, you may remember, uh, where the amyloid PET scan was another form of a biomarker that people could use to determine whether you had Alzheimer's or not, which in my favor, it turned out to be a very good thing because I got that test and it showed that I didn't have the Alzheimer's. So there's really some very positive things by taking these tests. Well, their theory was, well, if there's no cure out there, what's the sense of taking the test? Well, that's huh. ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You could be going down the wrong path with the wrong type of drugs because for somebody's dementia, Under the dementia umbrella, you take certain drugs; they work against you. So you really need to know what type of dementia you have. Uh, Plus, it's very helpful to understand why you should start taking some of these drugs if you know you have the problem. So I'm I'm really worried about the next steps that we're going to take because I believe this has really created some drawback in the pharmaceutical business side where people are a little bit gun shy at this point to come forward with new drugs because they don't know how their drugs are going to now be impacted. Are they going to have to jump through all kinds of hoops and spend even more money than they anticipated? And and you know, it's not cheap. It costs a ton of money to go through these clinical trials, especially when it comes to dementia, because it takes so long to prove these things, usually about 18 months, and a lot of money has to be invested. So, you know, somehow these companies got to get or recoup some of the money they invested into these things long term.
1: Great points. Um, you've had some experience with clinical trials, haven't you?
0: Absolutely. I've been in probably 15, 20 clinical trials, and uh, some of them have been really good, and some of them are a little scary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um What's one thing you'd like to tell our audience about clinical trials? Because most of us don't know anything about it, most of the audience, you know, and what's one thing you'd like to tell them about clinical trials in general?
0: Well, first of all, it depends on what place you go for a clinical trial and how you're treated. But it's very important that we all get involved in clinical trials because as we give our bodies to this, and we're the only ones that can really do it. We're the, Us who are living with the disease. Uh, you know, you, you can't bring normal folks in for most cases. You know, you, you have to have people who actually had the disease so they can figure out how to help those people. But too many people think of the failures that come out of these clinical trials. And I, and I like to say, it's not a failure. Every time they Go through one of these things and they pull one of these things off the market. They learn something new, which takes them to the next level that will hopefully bring them closer to the cure. So it's very important for people to realize that what you are doing is going to help. No matter what, it's going to help. And yes, we're going to eventually get there. Uh, And again, you know, you you just got to be careful what place you use that you're going to, because not all places, in my opinion, are. A a fair place to go for clinical trials because some places try to abuse what I would uh, say with the system that we have in place today.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting. How can our audience find out more about you, Michael?
0: Well, uh, that's a tough one anymore, to be honest with you, uh, because I've shut down my websites and everything else. uh, But uh, they, through, through pretty much any organization, uh, they all know how to get in touch with me. Uh, they they could also Google me and they could see uh, a lot of the things that are out there, you know, around my name. But I've been involved in uh, so many different things that so many people do know who I am that I've had people reach out to every organization to get to me. So somebody can once or through LinkedIn.
1: To the average Joe on the street, who's... Right now, if I ask them about Alzheimer's and dementia, what might you think might be their uh, biggest misconception about the whole thing?
0: I would probably have to say that it's the stigma associated with the disease and what they think of a person with dementia is like. You know, they all tend to think that somebody who's got Alzheimer's or some type of dementia is somebody who's in a wheelchair unable to move with their head back and you know just sitting there and that's so far from the truth because so many of us have so many good years left that can be utilized in good ways to help society and if we were just given the chance an opportunity we could do so much more uh but the sad part is they don't feel that we should still be around in the workforce, you know, especially if you're a doctor or a lawyer, you know, they, they think, oh, that you're a liability. Well, we would be if we were by ourselves, but there's no reason why you can't be paired with somebody. And there's a lot of knowledge that could be passed on from a person like myself. I mean, I, I I used to be top-notch in my business and so many people could have learned from me uh, instead of just shutting me out. And uh, I, I, there, there's so much that I could have taught so many new people in, in this industry. Yes, I get it. I can't, I, there's no way I could do it myself today, but there's also no reason why I could not be paired with somebody to work and still continue to be uh, a part of society and still continue to help out.
1: All right. Is there anything else, Michael, that we have not covered today that you'd like to cover for our audience?
0: Well, I would like to touch on something, if it would be possible, since we, you brought up clinical trials. There's an organization out there uh, that in Pennsylvania is very different than all the other clinical trial facilities, yet nobody wants to tackle the issue. And what I mean is these people actually charge money to get into clinical trials where nobody else In the whole industry seems to be doing that. And uh, it's sad because this is a form of discrimination because the area where this particular location is at is in an environment that's primarily Hispanic and African-Americans. And yet the people who need it the most, as you know, Hispanics are one and a half times as likely to get this disease and African-Americans are twice as likely. But they can't take advantage of this place. And I don't know if you want me to mention it or not, but you you have to be careful where you're going for your clinical trials. And there's probably about 30 clinical trials between Pennsylvania, Merlin, and Delaware, and none of them charge. This one place does. And that's what people need to really be careful about is because you don't always have to pay money. In fact, the majority of places you don't have to pay money to get in clinical trials, but yet some places try to make a business out of it, and it's sad.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up. That was something I was completely ignorant of, that that was going on.
0: (laughs) Well, Uh, this company is very big, and I've tried to get other people to tackle it, but nobody wants to tackle it, to go after this major organization.
1: Very interesting. Well, maybe we'll have an offline conversation about that. Is there anything else you'd like to cover?
0: Uh, Nothing at this time. I just uh, hope more people will uh, jump on board to help for dementia because like I said, there are no survivors for this cause and uh, most of the people who have this can't do this. And we really rely on the public to help us because uh, if they don't, we're just another number out there.
1: Okay. Um, If you could uh, go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice after you first got diagnosed, what would that be? If anything, you know?
0: Well, if I had to do it all over again, I would probably try to start out with some bigger connections in this industry from the very beginning rather than work my way up. I would have tried to go right to the top rather than start my way at the bottom.
1: Well, Michael, it's been a pleasure to have you here yet again at Different Brains. We hope to see you again soon. Thank you so much for all you're doing in the dementia and Alzheimer's world and keep up your great work. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I hope I can continue doing it for another 10 years. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.